Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 24. This is the second half of the second speech in the third round of dialogue. Here, Job is responding to Eliphaz. In chapter 23, Job was eager to clear up a misunderstanding. It isn't the justice of God that bothers me, he says. It is the absence of God. Where is he? Why will he not show up and explain to me what in the world is going on? Job expresses his desire for a meeting with God, while also expressing anxiety as to how such a meeting would go. Perhaps God has purposes in play that Job isn't aware of. Perhaps there are factors he hasn't considered. Even with all of that swirling around in his mind, Job is still set upon a meeting with God. Whether he condemns me or acquits me, I will not rest until I have found God. That's where we left things in chapter 23. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Why are not times of judgment kept by the Almighty? And why do those who know him never see his days? Job has been asking for an appointment with God. Here, he states his frustration with God's absentee management style. There ought to be regular times of reckoning. There ought to be some sort of schedule, some predictable cycle of judgment and redistribution. In essence, Job is saying that for people trying to play the game of life straight up, all of this cheating that is going on that is not being addressed by God is very distressing. God should adjudicate the game. He should pause life and address imbalances and injustices and reward and redistribute as necessary. Because in his absence, a lot of bad stuff is going on down here on planet Earth. That's where this speech is going. Job is upset because God doesn't appear active or timely in his interventions. And in the absence of those interventions, wicked people are running amok. Job is very upset about that. He continues in verse 2. Some move landmarks. They seize flocks and pasture them. They drive away the donkey of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. They thrust the poor off the road. The poor of the earth all hide themselves. Behold, like wild donkeys in the desert, the poor go out to their toil seeking game. The wasteland yields food for their children. They gather their fodder in the field and they glean the vineyard of the wicked man. They lie all night naked without clothing and have no covering in the cold. They're wet with the rain of the mountains and cling to the rock for lack of shelter. There are those who snatch the fatherless child from the breast and they take a pledge against the poor. Now, I'll just pause here in case you're reading that in another translation. The ESV translates this as the fatherless child, whereas some translations render it as orphan, as for example with the New American Standard, others snatch the orphan from the breast. Now, of course, immediately we wonder what an orphan was doing nursing at the breast. Wouldn't an orphan not have a mother to nurse from? 
Tremper Longman III recognizes the difficulty and provides a few helpful options. He says, perhaps the idea is that the wicked steal the child and kill the mother and father. Maybe the orphan here is one who lost father, but not mother. Or perhaps the statement is merely trying to portray the worst situation possible, close quote. So take your pick there. The Hebrew word used can mean orphan or fatherless child, so either translation is fine. And again, I think we have to be careful anyway about parsing the words of a deeply wounded and not entirely rational man. I think the basic point here is pretty obvious. There are some really bad things going on in this very broken world. Why doesn't God show up and set things to right? That is the question. And Job isn't finished asking it. He carries on in verse 10. They go about naked, without clothing, hungry. They carry the sheaths among the olive rows of the wicked. They make oil. They tread the wine presses, but suffer thirst. From out of the city the dying groan, and the soul of the wounded cries for help. Yet God charges no one with wrong. People appear to be getting away with murder, Job says. And the more laissez-faire God is, the more wickedness and misery we're likely to experience. It's time for God to show up and for him to start enforcing the rules of the game. That's what Job is saying here. In verse 13, he says, There are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways and do not stay in its paths. People are not following the rules, Job says. They aren't staying on the path. They're leaving the straight and narrow way and getting into terrible mischief. Verse 14, the murderer rises before it is light that he may kill the poor and needy. And in the night, he's like a thief. The eye of the adulterer also waits for the twilight saying, no eye will see me. And he veils his face. In the dark, they dig through houses. By day, they shut themselves up. They do not know the light, for deep darkness is mourning to all of them. For They are friends with the terrors of deep darkness. You say, swift are they on the face of the waters. Their portion is cursed in the land. No treader turns toward their vineyards. Drought and heat snatch away the snow waters. So does Sheol, those who have sinned. The womb forgets them. The worm finds them sweet. They're no longer remembered. So wickedness is broken like a tree. Scholars wrestle back and forth with the exact translation of verses 18 to 25. There are a few gaps that we can't make perfect sense of. So every translation is filling in those gaps as they think best. And not everyone is happy with the results. Francis Anderson, for example, says here, the RSV has taken such liberties with the Hebrew text that it is not to be trusted. I don't know if I would go that far, but it gives you a sense of how tricky this paragraph is to translate. The ESV seems to understand Job as quoting or referencing the basic worldview of his friends. You say that they come to a bad end. You say that they eventually reap what they sow. You say that they quickly fade away and are forgotten, but I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing them taking turn after turn after turn and getting ahead in the game because they continue to break all the rules. That's the sense that the ESV takes. As I said, you have to fill in some gaps in the process of translation because the text is very hard to translate here. 
But the good news is that the main point of the speech is in no danger of being obscured. Job is bothered that wicked people are doing wicked things and seemingly getting away with it. He carries on with that theme in verse 21. They wrong the barren, childless woman and do no good to the widow. Yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by his power. They rise up when they despair of life. He gives them security and they are supported. And his eyes are upon their ways. God appears to be giving the wicked a free pass. He appears to be giving them length of days, Job says. But then his tone changes in verse 24. They are exalted a little while and then are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are cut off like the heads of grain. If it is not so, who will prove me a liar and show that there is nothing in what I say? Here, Job appears to agree at the end of his speech with his friends. Ultimately, they will get what they deserve, he says. In, in the end, the wicked will be brought low. But Job, at least, is admitting that holding to that position is a matter of faith because his personal experience seems to prove otherwise. And that is the essence of authentic faith. Job is trying to reconcile his beliefs with his experience. He is not denying the facts on the ground, as his friends seem to be doing. He's not closing his eyes to the fact that sometimes wicked people prosper. Sometimes they die rich, fat, and happy. And sometimes righteous people struggle and toil, and they play by the rules, but they're never able to get ahead. Those are experiential facts, and Job will not overlook them. He can't overlook them because now, all of the sudden, he is one of them. Job is an experiential fact. And, and so, somehow, this has to be reconciled with what, along with his friends, he continues to believe to be true, that God is just and good, and in the end, the universe will make sense, and God's will will be done. He is believing that. He's holding on to that. But he is admitting that it doesn't easily square with his personal observations and experiences. One commentator describes Job as balanced but baffled. I like that. I think that's perfect. Balanced but baffled. That's exactly right. Job is dealing with a wider set of facts than his friends. That's the balanced part. But as a result, Job is confused and disoriented. He's baffled and, and hurt, actually, by the things that he sees in the world. He can't reconcile his faith with the facts on the ground. And that's why this conversation continues. And it, it will continue down through the ages until the world sees Christ upon the cross. That's when the conversation comes to a close. That's when the wise will put their hands over their mouths, when they see the long-awaited answer of Almighty God. When they see that, then all conversation about this grinds immediately to a halt. Isaiah the prophet talked about that. He said, Isaiah 52, kings will shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Do you see that? 
People have been thinking about this. Wise people, great people have been thinking about this, and they've never been able to bring the conversation in for a successful landing. They didn't have all the facts. They didn't have God's final word on this matter. But when they see that word, when they see how God feels about sin, when they see what God does to set things to right, then they will shut their mouths. They will stop talking because finally they will understand. They will understand that God sees, God cares, and God comes. And just like Job at the end of this book, once you know that, you know enough. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 